This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Cray unveils unified supercomputing platform. And why did IBM buy Red Hat? It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell. That's Michael Feldman. Michael, we got a couple of big stories here, and one we're definitely going to get to is the IBM $34 billion cash acquisition of Red Hat and one of the largest tech deals that's gone down in the market. And I think there are some implications there for HPC hyperscale and AI. But before that, let's do one that's really in the wheelhouse of the supercomputing space with Cray announcing its new unified supercomputing platform codenamed Shasta. Yeah, Shasta, they've been talking up for a while here and it's not totally unexpected. They're, they're going to announce it right prior to the supercomputing conference uh, coming up next month where they're going to be talking about it a lot more. But they've introduced this thing basically a year in advance of when they're going to start putting out product. But there's a lot to digest here. And I think they want to tell the community, their potential customers, what this is about it and what it all means for for Cray and their product portfolio uh, going forward. Yeah, and this is really an interesting product introduction for me, this Shasta line, because it's it's after Cray coming through an era where they really had different products for different things. They had the APRO acquisition. They had all of YARC data that was focused on big data. This is really bringing them back into a unification of both technology and workloads where they're looking to solve really high-performance, scalable workloads regardless of whether you're talking about AI or cloud scale or, or big data or traditional HPC workloads. And they've gone back to focusing on the interconnect where the core of Shasta is a high-speed interconnect that's custom to Cray. It's a, a dragonfly topology codenamed Slingshot, which can scale up to exascale and, uh, and, and beyond just base exascale, but staying with base three hops. And the real... Um, highlight of it is its heterogeneity, where it will support a choice of processing elements, Intel, AMD, ARM, NVIDIA GPUs, FPGAs. They plug into this uh, Dragonfly slingshot architecture, or you can take things like Flash and go directly into the interconnect. That plus a Cray software environment creates this uh, highly scalable environment based on sling. Yeah, and and flexibility and choice is definitely the key here. I mean, it's not only slingshot their own custom built interconnect they've come up with. They're also going to support uh, uh, InfiniBand from Mellanox as well as OmniPath from Intel. So you've got basically the, uh, the three choices that you might think would would cover ninety nine percent of of a customer's need. You got the two basically standard commercial brands plus their custom brand for the really high-end supercomputing uh, uh, stuff that they think they they normally would have done for something like Ares, their, their XC line. And yeah, the, the idea that they're consolidating everything under this one platform, I think is really the key to this whole thing. They're, you can build a cluster here or what would have looked like a cluster. You can build the data analytics appliance with Shasta and you can build a you know, a top-end supercomputer all under this same product portfolio. You just sort of mix and match parts, interconnects, processors, and even node configurations that you can come up with basically whatever you want. 
Yeah, and this is clearly, as you point out in your article on top500.org, a product for the exascale era. It is a supercomputing capable, exascale capable system. But, you know, looking at it, this really goes down to single rack systems. And, and in that rack, you have a choice between what they call their scale optimized cabinet, which is a Cray custom cabinet with direct liquid cooling supporting 64 Cray designed blades with up to 16 sockets per blade. And that's that very high networking bandwidth with the, uh, with the Dragonfly slingshot. Or they can deploy this in a standard 19 inch rack air cooling, front to back cooling with optional liquid cooling door. So really that'll take this down, you know, not to what we would consider be an entry level system with a few dozen cores, but but an enterprise high end system that then scales up into the supercomputing realm. Yeah, sure. I mean they're going to support, you know, what what's going to turn out to be exascale level technology, even in much smaller systems, you're going to get two hundred gigabits per second or maybe even better uh, bandwidth on the interconnect. You're going to get up to up to 500 watt processors uh, that are going to be able to be supported in this machine. Uh, future versions that won't won't even see the light of day until 2020. Uh, this is definitely forward looking. It's going to be, you know, the highest end stuff that you're going to find in the in the in the industry. Uh, but it could be scaled down as well as up. So you're like you said, you're going to be able to buy a rack of this to go into a modest sized data center for the fraction of a price of a of a national lab supercomputer. I'll tell you what this was making me think of is going back to more than 10 years ago, Cray really had a vision around what they were calling at the time adaptive supercomputing. And I even went and looked it up. Here's a headline from 2006, Cray Inc. today announced plans to develop supercomputers that will take the concept of heterogeneous computing to an entirely new level by integrating a range of processing technologies in a single platform. Then they went on to talk about adaptive supercomputing. This really feels like the deliverance of that vision that Cray had when Steve Scott was the CTO back that first time around before he went to Google, then NVIDIA and back. And a lot has happened in the interim there. About six years ago, we were talking about Cray selling its interconnect futures to Intel. That was future versions of Ares. Uh, but then after that, uh, you know, a year and a half later, Cray was acquiring Nodal and some of the intellectual property they got there helped Cray design this new interconnect that really wasn't part of that Cray Intel deal now. And it's come back full circle to where we're talking about a custom Cray interconnect now. I don't know what Intel ever did with the assets it got from Cray, but really it feels like Cray is back now in these custom interconnects that are capable of the, the highest scales supercomputing. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It, it's definitely a, a back to the future type story here. And, and I think it sort of revolves around Steve Scott's input into this strategy. When uh, when he came back, I think they, they got a lot more serious about putting this new interconnect together and, and getting back into that adaptive supercomputing strategy that they, they started 12 years ago. And this, like you said, this fulfills a lot of that promise. I mean, they were talking about adaptive supercomputing uh, at a time when they were just getting the cascade uh, platform up and running and, and the, the things that were there sold over the next decade. Uh, they implemented, you know, small parts of that uh, in, in the software stack over the 
over the following 10 to 12 years. But with, with Shasta, it looks like a lot of that is going to be fulfilled in the software stack they're going to, they're going to put forward with this. And especially in the level of heterogeneity and mix and matching on other componentry that they're going to be supporting in, in this architecture. I think it's, it's sort of like a, a delayed effect of what they had talked about for, for years and years. And now they're finally going to be able to, to do with Shasta. Yeah, because the big thing that really evolved in the market is not just the diversification of technology, but the diversification of these workloads right. in terms of analytics and big data and now machine learning and AI. And and Cray is now approaching these in this integrated platform that's unification of both technology and workload. Now, uh, it's going to be a while before these are shipping. Everyone's going to get excited now, but the shipping is about a year away. They're talking about starting to ship these in Q4, calendar Q4 of 2019. So while they'll be talking about it, and I'm sure they hope to take orders at supercomputing this year, it'll be supercomputing next year when we're talking about some of the first installations. And that will include, quite notably, what Cray is also announcing is their first significant win for the Shasta platform, which is from the DOE with a $146 million Shasta system, including cluster store storage for NERSC 9 with a supercomputer codenamed Perlmutter. Yeah, that's going to be the, that's the first publicly announced system. I think there's going to be more to come, but that's obviously a very big win for Cray, and it's going to be a very notable win for, for Shasta right out of the chute. Um, now, they're not talking about it at this point, but we can surmise that the A21 Aurora system that's going to go in uh, in in 2020 2021 timeframe is also going to be a Shasta-based system that's going to be uh, infused with mostly Intel technology. That could be OmniPath or you know possibly even Slingshot, but certainly Intel processors and the first exascale system in the U.S. But that's that's very liable to be a Shasta system. In fact, I don't see any other other way to do this other than to 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 use this platform to push that out. I agree with you. That's probably going to be a Cray Shasta deployment with A21. I'm very interested in what the processing architecture is going to be for that because Intel still hasn't specified it. And I'm interested in how much of it, as you just pointed out, is going to be OPA versus Slingshot. We don't have good visibility right now on the future of the OPA roadmap. And, and even if it is a, a follow-on high-end Omnipath, whether that's something that gets productized for broader use. Meanwhile, Cray is is working on its own development environment and features for Shasta, um, like, uh, like, for example, what they're calling advanced congestion management to handle what happens with, uh, with workloads when there is inevitably congestion on a on a large system. That's one of the major features that Cray is talking about here. But anyway, it seems like there's a lot for Cray to be talking about both in their booth and especially in their whisper suite when we get to Dallas in a couple of weeks. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of education going on over there, over that period. And then over the next year, there's, there's going to be plenty of uh, Shasta stories between now and then. So we'll be, we'll certainly be following up and maybe we'll even catch some, some more announcements of some wins over the next year as well. And that was a big enough story that it made the IBM's acquisition of Red Hat our second story uh, this week in HPC. Now, this is a huge acquisition, $34 billion, IBM paying cash 
to acquire Red Hat in a move that it's IBM is really describing as, as being driven by hybrid cloud. So on the surface, not really a lot to do with HPC hyperscale AI, but I think there's a lot that, that really has potential effect on, on all of that. And I have sus- suspicions that IBM's motivations here run a little deeper. Yeah, I mean, the, the rationale here, at least the public rationale, is that it is going to help with their hybrid cloud strategy use sort of Red Hat Linux as sort of a, uh, a way to leverage that strategy from between private and public clouds. Certainly IBM is is sort of behind the curve a little bit in their public uh, cloud offering behind the three big ones, Amazon, Google, and, and Microsoft. So uh, I think uh, the idea they needed to do something in that arena, now I'm not exactly sure how much Red Hat gives them that leverage, but they are making the software uh, part of, of Red Hat, it's going to become a unit under IBM's hybrid cloud division. So certainly that's sort of the, the story that IBM is spinning for this. But um, I'm not convinced necessarily this is going to play out like that. I think maybe there's there's other reasons or, or maybe other motivations going on behind the scenes. But beyond that, where I really see additional value for IBM is cloud computing, cloud scale computing is really right now all about the data and all about access to the data. And IBM has been on this kick for a while now about AI and cognitive computing, but where it's behind the other cloud vendors in terms of their AI strategies is that IBM doesn't have access to any kind of consumer or enterprise cache or trove of data like a Google or Facebook or Microsoft has. And now enter Red Hat, which has got a number one Linux position on-premise and in the cloud. And now IBM potentially gets this massive influx of available enterprise class data, not like customer records or things, but, you know, or things that would be private, but the usage data in terms of how enterprises manage their workloads, how they balance their workloads, what's on-premise, what's in the cloud. And, and that's something that IBM, I think, wants to use in terms of taking that level of enterprise data and tailoring individualized enterprise cognitive cloud services. I think that's IBM's play here. Oh, that's an interesting theory. I hadn't, that hadn't occurred to me, but yeah, certainly IBM is a, is an enterprise focused business and having that data uh, would have value to them if they could find a way to monetize. And certainly there's, there's different ways to do that now with, with AI technology. Uh, And then again, uh, IBM's AI, uh, division has been suffering they they haven't been doing as well as they hope their cognitive computing strategy based on watson technology and other things has has certainly not played up the way they wanted it to over the past year or so so that's uh that's a reasonable strategy but i don't know i mean maybe i'm um being too literal here but I, i'm just looking sort of at the numbers here and thinking maybe IBM just bought it because Red Hat's a it's a good business. They pull in about three billion a year. Uh, they're growing at least last year. They grew about twenty percent per year. And maybe with IBM's reach and help, they can actually increase that. Um, maybe it's just a good business. And then if they can get some synergy out of their hybrid cloud business for uh, however they're they're planning to do that, that's just sort of gravy. Maybe that's enough to warrant a sixty percent premium on the pricing, but 
you know, I don't know. It's 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 a little bit mysterious to me, but uh, it, it seems reasonable enough just on the on the on the fundamental basics of both companies. Yeah, see, I disagree with you. I don't think that's enough to justify that kind of premium. I, Red Hat's a public company. People can look at the revenue stream. They can look at the growth and the price of the company. The market capitalization of the company should should jive with that. So unless IBM sees something the market doesn't see, then you know what's what's with that whole premium. So there has to be some kind of, as you said, synergy. And I think plugging in IBM's cloud solutions into the red hot operating environment is not worth a sixty percent premium. Or there there would have already been some huge business to do that out in the market. I think what's underlying that huge price is is IBM's cognitive computing strategy. Now, we'll find out. We'll see where they go with it. In the meantime, there are a few direct implications here because even in HPC, Red Hat is the number one operating uh, system for HPC, followed by CentOS, and uh, which is a Red Hat fork. And, you know, let's look at what does this mean for HPE or Dell you know, do they have to have some kind of response in terms of their systems and how much they want to see Red Hat running on those systems? Do, you know, how keen am I to have a competitor's product controlling the software environment on my systems? What does it mean for a company like, um, or like Bright Computing or Adaptive Computing in terms of competing? Will they be impeded in their ability to compete on a, on a Red Hat platform? I think there are a lot of potential market implications that ripple down through HPC and enterprise computing beyond that that uh, that are yet to play out. Yeah, I mean that that is a that could be a potential worry for competitors certainly. Now IBM of course has to be careful here they can't disenfranchise uh Red Hat from some of their big customers and customer bases. I mean the the value of Red Hat is that it's a popular platform for a lot of people to use. If it becomes more of an IBM thing, uh, it loses that value. So, uh, and, and that revenue stream as well, which is which is like I said, it's billions of dollars a year. Um, for for now, IBM is saying they're gonna they're committed to the open source concept. They're not gonna interfere with uh, with people that are using that. Uh, outside of, of IBM systems, so they're they're at least publicly want to adhere to sort of the open source credo of of Red Hat, um, and that seems like the smart thing to do here. They they really can't afford to uh, to to lose business in that way and, and make it a a smaller, more proprietary thing. But oh, oh, absolutely. And in fact, if if my analysis is close to correct, then IBM wants to have this software in as many places as it possibly can. IBM doesn't want to narrow this down or make it proprietary. They want the Red Hat operating environment all over the place. And even at the even at the expense of losing system sales to HPE or Dell or anyone else. I mean, if that if 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 your theory goes that that data is valuable, and it, even if the 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 value of the service that they're going to be providing via Red Hat is valuable. They they are going to sacrifice some of those system sales in certain cases if they have to to uh, to keep that business going. Cloud scale computing is all about the data and access to the data, and I apply that heuristic to my analysis of IBM's acquisition of Red Hat. I think it's all about the data. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out, but certainly a. Big, a big acquisition that's going to ripple down to 
to everyone, uh, everyone that we know and, and outside as well. All right, Michael. Well, it's been a big week this week in HPC, and I appreciate it as always. Thanks for another great podcast, and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.